when it comes to national security in this country, it's it's always been a bit of an issue around, you know, how how we handle it, um, why the public doesn't seem to get as wrapped up. I mean, it's a big issue in the United States, as you know. Never rises to the same level here. Um, but you know what? As a country, uh, as a government, <laughs> we've certainly put some obstacles in our own way when it comes to handling it in an efficient manner. So to get some details on exactly what's going on, we're going to chat now with Dr. Stephanie Carvin, who's an assistant professor of international relations, the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, in, in, in reading the piece that you, you worked on and collaborated on, I, I was kind of surprised to find out that historically this country has really struggled to even come up with a way to have national security issues examined and discussed and debated by officials because we haven't really hit, come upon a secure way of doing it, right? Yeah, I know. Canada was an exception for most of the, basically all the 20th century in the sense that we never had security cleared members of a legislature looking at the activities of the national security intelligence community. There was an understanding that the minister is responsible for, you know, the RCMP and later CSIS and, and uh, the communication security establishment. And if there was a problem, you know, the minister should be held to account, but MPs shouldn't actually be able to see the intelligence that is, is you know, being used to help make decisions. And, you know, this actually made us an exception in most democracies. Every other democracy had some kind of body. So um, the creation of the National Security Intelligence uh, Committee of Parliamentarians in 2017 was a, a huge step forward in, in terms of, of kind of democratic review of national security in Canada. Okay, so 2017, it looks like we're finally getting our ducks in a row here. But it's not perfect either, right? I mean, there's there's still some issues that make it still pretty clunky, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is something the Conservatives have, you know, rightly in my view, criticized the, the committee for, which is that it is, and, and this this is getting super nerdy, so I'm just going to apologize to, to all <laughs> the people good. out in Alberta at this time in the morning. Um, but like, um, uh, I look forward to your tweets later. Uh, <laughs> but the what I'm going to say is like, so it's it's the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. It's not a parliamentary committee. Right now, the, that sounds like I'm just playing with words, but actually that means something different. So the committee itself is a committee that is responsible to the executive of the government. It's not responsible to the House. It's, not a, it's, not, it's a committee that just happens to have MPs on it. It's not a committee from Parliament which is investigating these right. things. So and essentially it answers to and is almost created by the Prime Minister in a lot of respects. In a lot of respects, yes. And so some people say, well, this is no longer legitimate because you know when the Prime Minister himself or herself is under um, scrutiny, then, you know, the, the premise can actually redact information. Now, I've always found this to be a little bit of a weak argument in the sense that, you know, the committee members themselves can actually say if there's political interference um, when it occurs. But, you know, that's not um, uh, what, you know, uh, people who champion parliament, like, uh, you know, the foreign affairs critic Michael Chong, he's a big champion of parliament, and he says, nope, MPs themselves should be running the committee, should have access to this information. And to be fair, this is how they do things in Britain, right? They have okay. something called the Intelligence Security Committee, and that's that's how they do it, and that's what I think he's pushing for. 
that's what I'm wondering. Like, if, I mean, 2017, surely there's other countries that we can look to that have come up with effective models. So we're sort of going um, along the lines of what the UK does. Are we, you know, obviously this isn't working 100%. We know the Conservatives are asking for changes because there is a review process around the framework that we've set up that is due this year, right? Yes, exactly. But uh, whether or not there is actually review uh, you know, a lot of times we will pass bills and say, yes, we will re- come and re-examine this five years down the road, and then we don't really do a good job of that. And that's part of the problem, right, is actually we need to look to see how, you know, NSI COP has been working and then think and look to see if there's there's any changes. And so what we call for in that editorial that we wrote, um, I think it came out Tuesday, but it was published Wednesday, um, the, the, you know, what we're asking is like, you know, we really do need to think about, you know, taking some of these criticisms of our, the current way we review intelligence in Parliament and, and try to find ways to improve it to make it more democratic in the long run. Now, that being said, the challenge is that, um, the, the, you know, so, so while being sympathetic to a lot of these conservative arguments, the, the challenge is that they're trying to force this through on urgent issues and do so in a way that I think is not going to to work or be pretty productive for like the absolute yeah. immediate moment that we find ourselves in. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, as somebody who studies this and takes a look at these issues, and I mean, there are some pretty, I mean, na- national security never seems to get the the do that it deserves in our country. How do we go about what would be the effective way of doing this? I mean, once you hand it over to the MPs, you've got election cycles that come into it. And as you say, we've got different governments of the day that are in charge and want different things to happen. So how do you get some continuity and some sort of framework that makes this, uh, you know, uh, something that we can actually tackle appropriately? So that's a great question. So first of all, I do think, you know, Within the community, there's always been skepticism about politicians, right? Because we see politicians on TV being interviewed, we all kind of want to roll our eyes and um, turn, change the station, right? Um, yeah. And I think that attitude has existed in the national security community for some time. But that doesn't mean that MPs shouldn't have access to intelligence. Like, we need to preserve this. Yeah. If anything, I think part of the problem is our debates have been really uninformed in Canada for the last couple of decades. And that my hope is that by having MPs investigate understand issues, talk to their colleagues that actually we're going to have much better understanding of foreign affairs and uh, defense in this country. And so MPs will, you know, right now we're looking at a a good example. There was a big story yesterday that the, um, or Tuesday, sorry, I think that we're going to have this new Indo-Pacific foreign policy that's been costed out at, you know, well over a billion dollars, right? And you're asking the government to spend a billion dollars on things that are going, you know, in a post-pandemic environment when people are looking for the Canadian economy to recover. So, you know, having MPs who understand why we need to do this, why it's important that, you know, we have a robust presence in the Indo-Pacific, I think is hopefully going to lead to a better discussion of how we actually implement this new Indo-Pacific policy uh, going forward. So so that's my hope. I mean, maybe yeah. it's a little naive, but, you know, hope springs eternal. Well, Stephanie, it's a, it's a chicken or an egg thing. I mean, do Canadian, do MPs not put enough focus on national security and foreign affairs issues because the public doesn't demand they do, or does the public not demand that they do because they don't really know what's going on because it's not something that politicians talk about? I mean, how do we make this be... I mean, we're entering an age where the United States are not going to be what they used to be, and I think that was our reliance in a lot of cases. Well, whatever they do, we'll do. Um, That's changing. I mean, how do we make this something that we're actually grown up enough to handle on our own? 
That's a really, you're right. We need, I, I like that chicken and the egg. Sometimes I think it's just scrambled eggs or broken eggs exactly. or throwing eggs. Sometimes. There's a lot of ways you can take that analogy. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think part of the problem is Canadians themselves. Like we are so blessed like to live in, in a country that's surrounded by three oceans with a mostly benign yeah. neighbor to ourselves, right? Like we're, we don't, we don't have to feel scared. You know, I've been to, you know, I've been to Finland. I've been to Israel. I've been to like countries like this where like, you know, you're, not, you're in a very different neighborhood and geography matters. But for Canadians, geography is just, you know, the fact that we, I have to fly, fly five hours to get to Vancouver. Um, that, that's kind of like our biggest issue. So I think that, you know, as threats are evolving, they're becoming less tied to geography. I mean, we're looking at the idea of foreign interference. We're looking at the idea of, of state-owned enterprises coming in and, and, and kind of skewing the economic landscape. We're looking at cyber threats. These are not issues tied to geography, right? They're tied to something very different. And I think Canadians are starting to understand this and wanting the government to do something about it. So I'm hoping that, you know, both the chicken and the egg are becoming a little bit more national security yeah. literate. Not, not in such a way to just give national security agencies everything they want, but in order to have informed conversations about how we take steps to deal with these things that is also going to you know, benefit the country and be democratic in the long run. Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating at times, Stephanie, but I always enjoy chatting with you about it and, and we'll continue to do so down the road. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. That's Dr. Stephanie Carvin. Um, Dr. Carvin, Assistant Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University.